Welcome to Is This Legal? Here are your hosts, attorneys Colin McCallan and Russell Hebbets. All right. Hi, everybody. This is Colin McCallan, and as always, I'm alongside my partner, my right-hand man, Russell Hebbets. Howdy, everyone. How you doing, Russ? I'm doing great. Good. Um, we've got another Is This Legal pod for you today. Uh, sorry it's been a little bit since the last one. We, we wanted to do one faster, but we're just so dang busy. I make, no, real job. I make no apologies. Okay, perfect. I, you know, I withdraw my apology and deal with it, America. Anyway, um, Russ, when I say the phrase, if you build it, they will come, what are we obviously talking about here? We're clearly talking about ball fields in the middle of cornfields, and we're probably also talking about ghost baseball players, right? Kevin Costner, yeah. James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones. We're talking about none of those people, actually. Uh, what we're <laughs> going to talk about is another person who said that, which at the time was an executive with a company called Corrections Corporation of America. And he uttered those words uh, after acquiring one of the first contracts to run a private prison here in the United States of America. We thought it might be a good idea to talk about the fact that in this country, we actually do have privately run prisons. Uh, so let's talk about private prisons and the criminal justice system, but I think we can also expand it to, expand it to uh, just private industry in the criminal justice system, right? They have diversified. These corporations that are running private person prisons have definitely expanded and we're going to get to that and talk about it. I want to start off though with like how did this happen? I want to talk about the history of private prisons in America because right. for ever since our republic's founding, right? We have had state and federal run prisons. That's correct. Okay. And and, and still we'll get to some statistics later. Most uh, prisons and jails are still uh, actually run by the state. Correct. Uh, so we're, we're talking about a minority of uh, prisons in this country, but it's still a really big number that house thousands and thousands of, of the population that we have in this country. Right, right. The incarcerated population. Yeah, so so right now, up until the early 80s, um, there were no, no such thing as private prisons. So this is pretty new. Pretty relatively new, right? Relatively new. So in the early 80s, a corporation was formed it's the one you just quoted corrections corporation of america yeah, they're they're now called core civic right uh, that's their new name they rebranded themselves exactly so in the early 80s around about 83 they got their first contract in the state of tennessee to run I think it was 84 I, I just happened to look at that it was yeah it was it was 83 into 84 right. i think they started running the the two centers in 84 they got the contract in 83 and up till then there was none of these nothing right. nothing and so starting then they started running a juvenile detention center in tennessee and a county jail i believe and that's that was the birth of privatized incarceration in america so I guess just to be clear on what we're talking about here, we are talking about a private company overseeing the operation of a prison. Um, all of that is controlled by the actual company, essentially not the state. The state would normally handle that, but state this is being or, held, held off to a, handed off to a corporation. State or the federal government. It's essentially subcontracting, right? Exactly. It's just outsourcing that duty. Um, and there's there's a lot of things that led to that. It was kind of the perfect storm in a lot of ways. And one of those things, I believe, was the 
increase in like let's get tough on crime the war and, on drugs exactly and more specifically the war on drugs right exactly so this was uh you know when, when we're talking about the war on drugs we're really talking about national policy um that was kind of spearheaded in the late 70s and really took off in the 1980s that really went after there was a, there was a large crackdown for drug offenses and drug offenders and basically <laughs> and especially on crack yeah ex- <laughs> exactly and um, it basically mandatory minimum sentences were created primarily in the federal arm of the criminal justice system and, and that and that really exploded in the eighties absolutely like that the mandatory sentencing and three strikes you're out everyone's right. probably heard like the three strikes you're out those exploded. In the 80s, there was a lot of political power behind those, and tons of legislation, tons of new sentencing guidelines were passed, which resulted in what? It resulted in many more people ending up incarcerated than had ever been before. An explosion of incarceration in this country. To the point where the demand was being felt by all of the jails, all of these facilities that were just at capacity, they couldn't handle more uh, influx. So, right in 1984, uh, Corp, uh, Corrections Corporation of America basically had its birth at the perfect time, right when yeah. everybody's going to jail. Su- supply equals demand, right? That's so, that's uh, like a tenant of our country. And so, with the proliferation of the war on drugs and mandatory minimum sentencing, came an absolute explosion of the private pr- uh, prison industry. Remember, this happened. Uh, in 1984. And where are we now with this, Russ? So as of now, there's two main companies. It's CCA, who became CivicCore. And uh, Core Civic. Core Civic, sorry. Core Civic. And then uh, Geo Group, GEO Group. Right now, today, Those are the two players, Those right? are the two players. Right now... Kind of like the Uber and Lyft of the prison system. Yeah, that's that's a good group, analogy. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and when you think about that, too, it is a good analogy because... They consolidate the power. Yep. They don't have a lot of com- um, competition, so nope. they kind of get to set their price point. Those are those are the two players, right? And and they went along. There's a lot of reasons why. You know, we talked about the demand, but right now, and we'll jump back to that. But right now, the last public filing that I could find for Core Civic, they are a or were recently a 1.8 billion dollar company, billion with a B. Wow. So. Huge company, huge money to be made. Almost in this a two billion, apparently. right, right. And so, you know, so let's talk about why why it was. We we talked about why the circumstances were so ripe mm-hmm. for for that kind of growth. Because essentially, these private corporations could come in and they they tell the the state, the municipalities, the federal government, hey, we can come in and we can do as good a job and we can do it cheaper. Exactly. I mean, you, I think you have to, um, in terms of explaining why this phenomenon has happened over the last 30, 40 years, we look at, okay, well, you know, what was the need of the states or the municipalities that are entering into these contracts? And so, you know, the pitch from these companies is, look, we can run your prison more cheaply, more affordably um, for a set price. You'll know what it is. By the way, we can also shield you from liability if we have a wrongful death inside the jail. They can sue us. They don't have to sue the municip- municipality anymore where the taxpayers for that municipality might be on the hook for like a two, three, four million dollar lawsuit if someone dies in the facility. Now, 
that's going to be shielded by the 1.8 billion dollar company. And that's and that's on um, and that's a that's a big deal. I'm I'm still I haven't looked into it. I still feel like if someone wanted to, they could probably pierce the corporate veil because liability is a big issue. I mean, Colin, was this just smooth sailing for <laughs> these private prisons like all through the 90s and 2000s? No. And, you know, at this point because we have a few decades to look at this, you know, there have been a couple of studies uh, scholars have looked at this. Here here's what cheaper prisons mean. Okay, that might be good for the municipality initially. But first of all, it usually means less guards. It means lower pay for those guards. So you have kind of a lower, uh, a tier, lower tier for these guards. High turnover. There's less training for guards because these corporations don't want to spend the money on training that a, a state institution might uh, be incentivized to use. Um, there's absolutely no incentive, Russ, to focus on rehabilitation and job training programs. Think about that for a minute. Why? What's well, the obvious well, reason why? I mean, for all of this, it's super simple for, I mean, there's two two big reasons. What you're getting at is that they're going to make more money if exactly. these people come back. Absolutely. Right? They don't want people to they're, get out on parole. Right. They don't want people <laughs> Those to bet, learn how to not commit crime anymore. Right. The more beds that are filled, the better their business does as a business. Well, look, I mean, just, just to emphasize that one point since you just said it. There are some state contracts with these prisons where, let's just say crime is down and these facilities aren't completely filled to the max, the state has to pay the corporation for the unused beds. I saw that. So in other words, there are either directly or indirectly, states are basically dealing with a quota system. Right. They have to make sure that they have a certain amount of people incarcerated so that they don't have to fork over more money right. to this company. Right. The state who, by the way, controls law enforcement and controls, you know, that's the that's the whole criminal justice system is the state. And they are actually incentivized to put more people in jail. But going back, I want to touch again on the point of like the economics of this, because like the bottom line is the more people you can supervise with the less supervision. So the more prisoner heads, the less guard heads, the better your business does. There was a there was a jail, a privately run jail. It was somewhere in the south that had about 750 inmates and they were guarded by a day shift of five guards and a night shift of two that's guards. In, that's incredible. It's astounding. I mean, and, and, and the 90s had a ton of problems at these jails. We're talking about stabbings, fights, prison guards getting killed. Assaults on prison guards, 49% higher in a private prison than in a uh, state-run prison. Just, how about that right there? Yeah. You're getting paid less and it's much more dangerous for you. Right. right. So, And you're not getting training on how to deal with this because, again, those things cost the corporation money. They don't want to spend money on those kind of resources. Right. Yeah, the, the whole name, like Corrections Corporation of America, it's, it's a pretty big misnomer because there's no corrections going on here. Right, exactly. And, you know, coming back to the whole, you, you, this quota thing, uh, usually the cost of these contracts is on a per inmate basis. Right. So it's not like they, you know, uh, you know, the state of Colorado meets with one of these companies and says, okay, for $2 million, uh, you can run our prison at this facility. No, it doesn't work like that. It's all based on how many people do you occupancy. have that are Occupancy, exactly. Um, and so these guys, it's, it's like a hotel chain. They want to fill up their hotel. 
and well, get the best possible price they can for it. It's Only funny. no one gets to check out. <laughs> or not for a long time. Right. You can't check out anytime you it's like. It's like the Hotel California. Right. You can never leave. Right. We're not joking. You can't really leave. Um, there's a great quote from one of the three founders of Corrections Corporation of America on this when asked about, you know, how, how do you do this? And his quote was, well, you sell it like you're selling cars or real estate or hamburgers, which is just so cavalier when you're talking about people's lives being just well, again these so these are these are billion dollar corporations um these billion dollar corporations are actively lobbying state legislatures guess what they're lobbying for Russ? they're lobbying for tougher crime laws no yes shocking um these guys have lobbied for tougher sentencing laws across the board they will show up um, and any sort of, you know, Jessica's law, things like that, whenever these things are being introduced, whatever can maximize incarceration, these guys are shilling out a lot of money in uh, high dollar lobbying firms in order to see whatever they can do to get more people behind bars. And that is across the board because that makes sense for their business model. It's because it's a business, you know, and there's actually like there's I I actually came across some some interesting anecdotes to that effect um you know for example well let me let me talk these these places have been diversifying right yes. they're not just running prisons totally. anymore are they no, what, are, what are they doing okay so these companies are getting into the probation business so mm-hmm. um you know maybe you've committed a first time misdemeanor offense whatever it is and you got to go on probation you're not going to jail but you have to be uh, on probation. So it used to be that you would meet with a state-hired probation officer who works for the state, is compensated by the state. Part of the judicial branch. Exactly. Um, is that the case anymore? No, no. Well, it, it still is to some degree, but there are more and more private probations popping up where it's just like... And, and they're actually run. They're owned by their subsidiaries of uh, GEO or... Right. Um, or civic. core civic, right? So, so they're diversifying into probation. They're diversifying into pretrial monitoring. So right. you get charged with a crime and you have to get an ankle bracelet while you're awaiting your trial. They're providing those. They're they're diversifying into um, halfway houses. So people as a prison alternative who have to go like introducing people back into the community. They are buying those up like they're going out of style mm-hmm. or have been, and. They're also into immigration detention centers, which turns out is an area of growth. Yes, they are. Um, both of those companies, uh, CoreCivic and Geo Group, um, contributed very heavily uh, to the uh, campaign for Donald Trump in 2016. And, um, you know, look, as you can see, we're, ICE, oh, here's something I actually found. You know who CoreCivic's biggest customer is? I do not. ICE. Oh, immigration customs enforcement number one customer of this private prison in America right now because uh, these private detention centers there's never been more of them. Right, and um, I, I, I think I saw a stat on this. So this isn't um, like we're, when we're talking about private prisons, we're really only talking about eight percent of all incarcerated folks in America. So right. by and large, people are actually still under the umbrella of state-run prisons. That number is actually up to 75%, though, when it comes to uh, ICE facilities, uh, detention, immigration detention facilities. So 75% wow. 
of the detention facilities that currently house people who are dealing with ICE are run by private companies. Well, let's, I mean, that is shocking. I did not know that. But there was actually, I came across a story, uh, Arizona, back a few years, they um, passed one of the most stringent immigration enforcement laws. Um, It was a law that I don't want to get too far into it, but allowed like stop and it allowed requesting immigration papers for any stop. It allowed warrantless arrests um, if they thought that someone was illegal. And obviously that is creating a bunch of custody and revenue. (laughs) revenue, Well, and revenue directly to um, these private companies. One, a representative from um, CoreCivic was actually sitting in on the legislative meeting when that law was actually drafted and how you can how you cannot see I, I, I can't even imagine a more blatant conflict of interest mm-hmm. you know but that's what's happening because these corporations are smart they are running this like a very profitable business and that's that's why you saw the diversification that we talked about you know we talked about how they're diversifying and all these other things that's because they are seeing that U.S. prison populations, after decades of sharp, sharp increases through the war on drugs and the three strikes you're out, that is changing. There's a lot of momentum for prison reform. And we actually peaked at, round about three years ago, there was a peak. And prison populations are actually coming down. These guys have been diversifying for about the past 10 years because they've seen that hey, that's not where it's going. Mm -hmm. I think they're also seeing some just general pushback in private prisons. I mean, I think, I I don't think this was an issue that was on a lot of people's radar for a long time. But there has been a lot of recent press coverage emphasizing the reality that the United States of America incarcerates more of its citizens than any other country in the world by yeah, yeah. I mean, just saying we incarcerate more is a vast understatement. We have 5% of the world's population. We incarcerate 25% of the people incarcerated globally. That's, wow. Se- second, <laughs> whether you go by pure numbers or by percentages, we blow everyone away. We have about 500,000 people, more people incarcerated than China. And like on a per person basis... Good old El Salvador is second to us, and, and we're still killing them in the incarceration rate. Right. And, and by the way, there's not a lot of companies that use private prisons. A lot of them are Western com- uh, countries. countries. We have the United States, we got the UK, uh, New Zealand, Australia. That's about it. This is not even a thing in most other countries in the world. Well, you know, I want to I want to just quickly, we could probably do a whole podcast on this, but I think it bears mentioning that not only are these private corporations getting money through the contracts for running these prisons, but they are able to then have contracts for labor. Because people in custody can get reductions in their time and good behavior and frankly, it's easier to serve the time if they're actually working when they're in prison. So now this is where the the phrase prison industrial complex got coined because you have what is essentially, I mean, it's, it's prisoner labor. Some people would say it's slave labor. And, you know, these private companies 
pay these guys a whole lot less than states and the federal federal government is mandated to pay them minimum wage. Okay. We're talking about uh, like the Shawshank Redemption, good old Warden Norton, the inside out program, right? There, there you go. Free I mean, labor. And uh, you're bidding against other like construction firms. Oh, well, we have inmates who will be paid 50 cents an hour. Um, yep. How does that sound? State. You have, they can you, fix your highway for you. Right. You have giant companies who are investing in this. IBM, AT&T. I mean, like name brand companies. Nike recently was approached by a state saying, hey, shut down your operations overseas over in Asia and come back and we'll have our prisoners built, make your shoes right here in the good old USA. <laughs> and you'll save money because it's cheaper for labor. What did they do? They didn't do it. <laughs> they did not. Um, I think they did not. They saw that press coming because... Because people are becoming aware, going back to what your point is, this is gaining in, it's being exposed. Yeah, I think, I just think that generally people are kind of opening their eyes to the fact that in, in a lot of cases, uh, specifically when we're talking about drug cases or mental health cases, which what the war on crime was all about uh, with, with, the, with the former, um, people are just wanting to incarcerate people less, I think, uh, now in 2019 than maybe at other times before. We also, though, um, you know, you're talking about how the, the population is slowly ticking down. We think that's a good thing. I think there are other things going on where, you know, this privatization is being fought. It's being combated. Um, and, and maybe not even directly. Here's an example. Russ, you and I see this all the time just practicing law in Colorado. We're seeing a lot more special courts uh, for special offenders. So we have we have a Denver sobriety court. So that's going to be um, a, a court that is much more geared toward rehabilitation and treatment for uh, a person with a substance abuse problem rather than just locking them up in a jail cell. Right, rather uh, than warehousing right. them. Drug courts, same thing. Uh, mental health courts, mm -hmm. same thing. Veterans courts. Exactly. So what these are, are these are kind of incentive-based programs where we tell the offender, look, um, we're, we're going to really work with you. We're going to provide a bunch of resources to see if we can get you back to a functioning member of society rather than just warehousing you over and over again. And you're just now starting to see, we're just now starting to see the data from that. And it is almost uniformly showing um, that they're working. It's showing lower recidivism rates. It is showing higher rates of getting a handle of their substance abuses. It is showing that if you can get these guys help, then they're actually going to turn into productive members of society and not be out there committing crimes again. So that, right. that trend, in, from our perspective, is such, it's, it's really encouraging. Yeah, and b by the way, uh, there's, there's a study on this issue. Minnesota uh, just recently did a study in, with their own in inmate population. Um, you are more likely to reoffend if you are warehoused in a private prison than if you are in a state-run prison. And it's for all of these things that we're talking about, I think. I mean, they all add up, these little variables, really show that these guys are really not, they're not even performing as a state-run prison should perform. They're not meeting those same standards. Right, well. well like they, across the board. Because they have different incentives. 
right? Mm-hmm. Because they have it's all about the Benjamins. Their, their incentive is not to get people rehabilitated. Right. So so let's talk about some some cities and states who are kind of fighting back against these these private prisons. Let's hear it. Well, we have we we have this happening right now, right here in Denver. So Denver recently, the city council, without the support of the mayor, they unilaterally canceled contracts with GeoCore and CoreCivic to get them to stop running halfway houses in Denver. Oh. It was super super contentious because like these guys have nowhere to go. Right. And what they ended up doing is they, they ended up recontracting with them on like a month to month basis mm-hmm. until they could find an actual solution because it's not a solution just to shut them down. Right. Right. Um, but so Denver is not going to be working with these guys anymore. Um, some other municipalities around Colorado have done that. New York, the state of New York, has taken the most active, proactive steps. They have in the past handful of years, they have prohibited private prisons so no private prisons in the state of new york that's not allowed they have for their state pensions so teachers firefighters police officers all that money that gets invested in these big funds they have divested from from investing in private prisons yeah yep. and the last thing that they just are in the process of doing i believe it's passed the state house but not the state senate but they passed a bill prohibiting banks in New York from financing private prisons, which is huge. Because mm. these guys, these guys are set up, these private prison companies, they're not set up as normal corporations. They're set up as real estate investment trusts. Mm-hmm. They did that for tax purposes, but what that means is they have to distribute 90% of profits every year. They can't reinvest, which means they need these banks. To finance them. They don't have the cash to do it because they're set up as these trusts. If banks start saying, sorry, we can't work with you, they're not going to be able to function. Yep. So, you know, that uh, people are really starting to talk about this. And honestly, this, this has already crept up in the uh, 2020 presidential campaign. Um, some people are talking about this, and I, I think I think this is going to be a buzzworthy topic for some time. So I, I don't think private prisons are going anywhere, but I, I I think that at least people are starting to realize, okay, it maybe shouldn't be all about money uh, as a single variable that we care about. Yeah, you should at least look at it. Um, yeah, and I, I guess there's there's room for divergence of opinions, but yeah. I, my opinion is they, should, they shouldn't exist. So, well, um, you know, we'd love to hear your feedback. And uh, obviously, um, we, we really appreciate these types of discussions. If you have a question for us or if you would like to weigh in on this topic, if you think that Russ and I are just bonkers and want to let us know about it, we'd love to hear from you. Um, you can reach us at our Twitter handle, which is, is this legal uh, underscore, underscore pod? at uh, Twitter. You can also find us at our Hebbets and McAllen Facebook page. Um, And uh, we look forward to a lot more episodes this year. Can't wait to get to them. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to Is This Legal? See you next time.